This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning. It's Monday morning. It's spring break. And it's Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. Hello, Carol. Hey, Mal. How are you? Man, I'm good. I'm good. It's, God, what a beautiful day. It's been a weird past week of weather. Oh, yeah. Today is nice. This is what we expect in a Mississippi spring. Yeah, we had stormy Monday last week and we? windy Sunday. Oh, boy. And here we are on sunny Monday. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, this is a show about food, I understand. And this morning, we got to the studio, and there were cookies brought to you. They were delicious. The Monday morning cookie. The cookie man. Uh, He is not only in the house, but today he's substituting for Java Chapman, who's out for spring break. And... Sorry, Kevin Farrell's here with us today to run the board and to tell us about his most recent creation. Uh, this week I made uh, gooey butter cookies. Um, and I had first heard of gooey butter cake. Uh, I think it's a St. Louis thing. I know when I went to a public radio conference in St. Louis once, uh, that was one of the treats that they offered us. So It's called ooey gooey cake. That's the, real, that's the name. Okay. Um, so this was pretty good. I, I, I've, uh, my sister gave me a good tip in that uh, if you're going to be making cookies a lot like I am, that uh, go ahead and splurge on the butter and get the good stuff. So I got sort of the, I think there's like three levels of butter, you know, low grade, <laughs> medium grade, and high grade. So I've got the medium grade stuff. So I mm. think it uh, turned out pretty good. Uh, but my other tip was that uh, they're rolled in powdered sugar. And the last mm. couple of times I've used powdered sugar, it's been sort of clumpy. Uh, so I went ahead and sifted all of the, sh- the powdered sugar ahead of time, and so that made it easier when uh, you rolled them up uh, before baking. So, Now, Kevin, you shared with us before we went on the air that you had a cling wrap crisis, uh, and, and th- we, we had a pretty good discussion about that. Well, well that's right. I, 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 it's a name-brand stuff, but, uh, and I, the, you were supposed to cover the bowl and put it in the refrigerator to heat, uh, uh, chill the dough, the dough for 30 minutes. Well, I tore off a piece. You know, one thing was uh, a lot of times when I tear off the the cling wrap, it, it begins to cling before you even begin to put it on something. Well, this time I pre clinging. <laughs> I got the sheet out, but then you know, and maybe I was doing it wrong. I thought you could sort of stretch it around the lip of the bowl and put a little bit of you know tension on there uh, to make it stick, but uh, it, it wouldn't work. And then. The only time it seems to cling is when it touches itself. So it's kind of matted up around the edge of the bowl, but it wasn't a very tight seal. So I was a little bit disappointed in that. Well, there's nothing like a cling wrap crisis. It's a true crisis of cooking. And Malcolm, as you reminded all of us, it's not the place to save pennies. Don't go for the cheap wrap because it might not cling. Yeah, and, you know, cut somewhere else, but never cut your cling wrap. Right. This is uh, the point for today. Don't buy the cheap stuff when it comes to cling wrap. You could have a cling wrap crisis. Yeah, so um, I mentioned I, I really don't have much to report on the cooking front today. My creation of the week, I mean, it was not my creation, but was cast iron grouper on Friday night. What do you mean you didn't do much? Well, got two beautiful pieces of grouper from Dugan's, from John Lester, our favorite fishmonger. 
and uh, the recipe you you put your cast iron pan in the oven at 400 for about 20 minutes you know wipe the fish with a little oil a little seasoning i used old bay yeah and plop it in there plop. and sizzles and put it back in the oven for 15 minutes you, you may stop sizzling oh, okay I got so excited about it. Doesn't sizzle that for that long, <laughs> but it was it was really delicious. You know, you can do anything with cast iron. Right, right. Correcto changeo. Well, I, Kara, and I were invited to a dinner party at the Campbell's house last night. You know the Campbells very well. Yes, we we would be talking about Roy and Nancy Campbell. Correct. Um, originally from the Delta, now in in Jackson, and Nancy, when she's not cooking is a primary care physician. That's correct. With the uh, Premier, Premier, Premier Medical Baptist Group. Yeah. Medical, you're right. So th- they co-hosted a, a dinner for us uh, and uh, the Miller family who live across the street, Cynthia and Kent. And Frank and Ivy Alley co-hosted it. And so Nancy cooked, uh, Roy entertained, told great stories, and Frank and Ivy also cooked and entertained. It was a lovely evening. But the star of the show was the Coco Vin. And you know how I feel about and, that. <laughs> I know it's one of your faves. It is one of my faves. And and for uh, those out in radio land who haven't made Coco Vin lately, it is rooster in wine sauce. That's right. And I, there's a rooster next door to my house that I'd like to put in some <laughs> wine sauce. You know, sadly, we don't have access to many roosters in the grocery store. So, um, you know, just you can make it. Get just a chicken. With, just, hmm. just get a chicken. Okay. Just get a chicken and cut it up or buy it cut up. Right. And how do you prepare it? It has a red wine sauce. I think most people think of chicken um, being snuggled up to a white wine sauce, but not so with the Coco Vin. Well, it, it speaks to its origin, and it is a dish that's from the Burgundy re- region of France. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, a normal home cooking, and people do what they do all over the world. They use the ingredients that are at hand. So a good Burgundy wine is wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, is is the key. And I love the vegetables that are in this dish, the pearl onions yeah, and the garlic. Yeah, it's one of the few things we use pearl onions for yeah, anymore. that's true. And, and they're hard to find, fro- I mean, frozen. I, You know, I buy two or three packs whenever I see them in the freezer section. And if I understand it correctly, you make the garlic and onions in with the wine reduction sauce, but you cook the mushrooms separately and add them. Is that right? You add the mushrooms right at the end. You saute the mushrooms, you know, uh, just in a separate pan on the stove. Mm-hmm. And at the very, very end, um, you, you stir the mushrooms in. Well, as I said, the Coco Vin was the star of the show, but we also had a beautiful salad served after the entree and which I like. It had figs in it. It was delicious. And we had an appetizer of a smoked salmon puff pastry. I believe Frank made that. 
Outrageous. I believe Ivy made that. Oh, correct me on that. But whoever made it, it sure was good. The whole dinner was nice. Uh, Frankly, this is the first dinner party I've attended, except for the Joe Sherman party that we had where the uh, where we discovered the snackle box yes which is which was a tackle box full of hors d'oeuvres right so this is our second dinner party in post-covid and we're delighted to report it was a success and we had a big time and uh we've got a caller we got ann who's calling us from tennessee she wants to talk carol a little bit more about making the cocoa van. Hello, Ann. Good morning. Um, I, I told this, I can't believe you're... I was going to call in and ask about the cocoa van, and I was like, no, I'm too busy. And then, then right away, you all started talking about it, and I said, I have to call in. That's... Okay, I've never made it before, and I want to make it for my husband and myself for our anniversary coming up March 23rd. So, Very good. Um, 54 years, I think. I don't know. It's hard to keep track. <laughs> it's a lot of joy in there, Ann. Oh, gosh, yes. So, and your, your show is full of joy. So, real quick, okay, I just made beef burgundy. I won't try to pronounce it in French for the first time. And in the past, I, uh, not, not the first time, but um, also in the past, I made beef stroganoff. And... My concern with cooking with burgundy or whatever wine you use, how do you keep? How do you get some of the wine flavor at the at the end result? I'm I'm always kind of disappointed, and I don't know if I'm if if I'm doing it wrong or overcooking or if I add some at the end, and that that's kind of my my big question. So you're saying you want more wine flavor? Yes, ma'am. Which is the heart? Which is the heart of the the coca van? Okay, um, one one great uh, hint is soak the chicken overnight in the wine, and so it really, really get gets in there. Um, you know, the other thing is to use a a strong wine. I, I use Burgundy wines because that is what I enjoy. A good Cote d'Aron. You know, something which is kind of from that region or, or a real full-bodied, you know, California Pinot Noir. And what, what about what about a Cabernet? I, I, I wouldn't. It ha- That has um, a, a little too much, I can't think, or a tannin. I mean, a little too much dryness for mm. this dish. Okay. You, okay. you would really do better with the other. And if you have made beef bourguignon, you are mm-hmm. almost there with with coca vin. They're very similar. <laughs> they come from exactly right. the same region. You, right, right. So, uh, and, and cognac is a, is a really important thing on the coca vin. You pour a little cognac, and you know you light it, and it flames up, pow, 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 and that gives you know, even more of of that unique flavor of the coca vin. How, how much is a little? Well, um, the recipe that I use is Anna Garden, the Barefoot Contessas, and it's just a fourth of a cup. And it's either cognac or a good brandy, but you pour it on there and then you carefully, I, I use a long match, you know, light it and it flames up and kind of caramelizes and, and 
it just gives oh that deep, deep, deep flavor. I highly recommend her recipe. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, modernized for the American home cook. It's, you know, the cooking time, sometimes when you look at the older recipes, they are recipes that use rooster, and rooster right. is much tougher. <clears throat> and so her recipe right. and a lot of the other more modern recipes Cooking time is adjusted to uh, to keep in consideration the chicken that we use. Okay. In 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 her recipe, does she explain how to do the cognac and and light it and everything in it or not? Yes, she does. And in fact, Mal- Malcolm just asked me if we could post her recipe. We'll certainly you know, give her credit, but we'll you know we'll post it on on the site. I'm trying to. Um, you know what you serve it with is really uh, adds to the dish. You need to serve cocoa bean with something that will just soak up the delicious sauce and anything starchy, uh, mashed potatoes, fettuccine. Uh, yes, well, and egg noodles are a very traditional mm. thing to serve on the side with it. And lots of French bread, crunchy yeah. French bread to soak up the sauce. And I, I think you were there, Malcolm, but yeah, about 15 years ago, we were in the Napa Valley, and there is a French bistro called Bistro Janty, and mm-hmm. it has my favorite cocoa bean in the world, but they serve a little oval plate of buttered noodles mm-hmm. with, yes. you know, with the cocoa bean, but definitely French bread and a starch to soak up the goodness. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you all so much, and thank you for your wonderful show. Well, Ann, we appreciate your listening and certainly appreciate the call and what synchronicity here that we had with uh, you thinking about the dish and us also thinking about the dish. Sometimes that's just the way it is, Carol. That's the way it is, Mal. And here's another fact. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to one of our favorite cooking and coping posters and home chefs, and really a fabulous human being. Tim Pierce is going to join us. We're going to talk about Brussels sprouts, among other things. The sprout. The sprout. So stay tuned. Carol and I will be right back. Deep South Dining. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. Good morning, Carol. Happy National Potato Chip Day. Tell me about that. Uh, you know, I got a, a, a notice on my, my phone this morning, and I began thinking about potato chips. As you were supposed to. <laughs> it worked. It is National Potato Chip Day. Um, let's see, they go back to 1853, right? George Speck uh, creates the chip in Saratoga Springs, Florida. I didn't even Saratoga know. Saratoga Springs, New York. I was about I to bet. say, I didn't even think Florida was a state in 1850. Well, they may have been. But anyway. Today we honor him. That's that's a name that we should all know, George Speck. George Speck. Also, a.k.a. George Crum. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, well, potato chips weren't really mass-produced until the 1920s when the automatic potato peeler. 
Right. And then, of course, there is the uh, southern angle on this. In 1932, Herman Lay began his potato chip business in Nashville, Tennessee, and it is now known as Frito-Lay. So there you Golly, have. Lay's potato chips. That is so wonderful to know the history that there really was a Mr. Lay. Indeed. And, Carol, looking at the calendar, guess what's coming up? St. Patrick's Day is well, coming I know up March seventeen. Absolutely. So, and what will you be serving at Helen Mouse? Well, I believe we'll be having the traditional corned beef and cabbage and potatoes, uh, and some of my brother's famous Irish stew. One of my faves, made with lamb. So, the actual day is Thursday. Thursday the seventeenth. The I'll parade, of course, is not until the twenty-sixth, but. The St. Patty's Day, St. Patrick's Day, is the seventeenth of March, and uh, so do you do any other tip of the hat, any music, or just not really? I mean, we just, used we're to, just eating. We're just eating well and uh, wishing everyone and wearing green. Otherwise, we get pinched. I won't even ask where. You, do you know about that tradition? If you don't wear green on St. Patty's Day. I knew it was important, but I didn't know to fear the pinch. That's right. Well, some people actually, I think, look forward to the pinch. <laughs> I mean. Well, there are other, other things to celebrate um, St. Patty's with. Like what? Irish stew. Irish stew. My brother's very famous Irish stew. Do you have the recipe? Of course we have the recipe. Okay. And we will be making it. Um, and there's uh, all sorts of Irish beers, like Guinness and such. Um, Irish soda bread. Soda bread, indeed. We went to Ireland. We did. Was that in 2017? I, can't, I think it was, it was before Maybe that. We, we went to hear the music. Right. And and that was Donnie Bruce Browning, who sadly is no longer with us. Right. Estes Key from Bay St. Louis. Right. Mal. And Carol. And Carol. Deep South Dining. Yes, and we we had a lot of Irish soda bread, and we had bangers. We did. And how about the famous Irish breakfast? Oh, my gosh. That's where we came up with the saying of himself. Remember the the lady whose home we were staying in referred to me as himself. himself. (laughs) Yes, what would himself like for breakfast this morning? Which was eggs, bacon, banger sausage, Potatoes, stewed tomatoes, yes. and Irish soda bread. Every day, every morning, wherever, every breakfast, wherever you are, in, no in substitutes. Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and it was known as the famous Irish breakfast. Yes, which after yes. two or three of those, you're ready for something else. I'm glad we recall that memory today. That's Absolutely. good. We have a phone call. We do. Mike is calling in from Hernando. Has a question for us. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Uh, good morning. Uh, question. Uh, all my life I've heard that if you eat a lot of cheese, you'll gain weight. and that's, that's, that's different. I have cheese with every meal. I'm 77 years old. I'm not overweight. And I love cheese. Is it unhealthy? Oh, man. I don't think cheese is unhealthy. I guess if you eat, you know, a giant serving of it three times a day, it would be unhealthy. What do you think, Carol? 
Well, I mean, it, it's not unhealthy, but it is fat. It's you know, 100 calories an ounce. I mean, cheese is a lot of... 100 calories an ounce. Yeah, it, it, cheese is, is a lot of fat, but that fat is goodness. Yes. And obviously, Mike is a you know, moderate guy. He has good genes. He doesn't gain, gain weight easily. But, I mean, if you're going to sit around and eat brie and semi-soft and soft cheeses all day like I would... I would be wearing it somewhere else on my body. Mike, what sorts of cheeses do you like, my friend? Uh, every one of them. <laughs> Especially <laughs> Edom, uh, Edom cheese and uh, Swiss. And I'm just wondering, you know, I like cheese and crackers, obviously, but mm-hmm. I put cheese on many, many things. And um, I just wondered sometimes, man, am I overdoing it? I know it's a dairy product, and that's really where I get my dairy because I don't drink milk. Okay. Yeah. As long as your doctor says your cholesterol is okay, I bet you're okay. And um, you sound like the people in Wisconsin we call cheeseheads. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, not to not to blow their horn, but the Sorrento family call themselves that. Uh, they're the cheese people, and they look healthy. Yeah. And yeah. I one of them eats it. Right. Well, well Mike, thank you for the advice. I'm going to keep eating. Yeah, just keep eating your cheese, Mike. Uh, unless your doctor, the good doctor, says you need to cut back, we would encourage you to carry on. I mean, he mentioned the Edom cheese from yeah. Mississippi State, another famous Mississippi product. I love the pimento cheese myself. And that pimento cheese is such a southern thing. We should do a whole show on that. I, I All probably the eat pimento cheese every day. Yeah, let's do a pimento cheese and deviled egg show. That would be terrific. Those are two of my faves. Whether it's tailgating or just hanging out around the house. Okay, um, again, St. Patty's Day coming up on Thursday. Today is National Potato Chip Day. And Carol and I had an idea about creating a state cake what do you think about that i think it's a good thing we should have mississippi should have a cake yeah and and you mentioned the caramel cake i, I think that would be cake. a good i think that would be a good start if you have ideas about what mississippi's state cake should be we'd love to hear from you just pick up your phone it's toll free and dial one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can put it in email form and just send it to food at mpbonline.org. Malcolm, I have a correction. Correction, okay. You talked about your dinner party and said that Frank Alley made the tart and the smoked salmon puff pastry, and I said, no, 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 that was Ivy. Correct. You were right. Well, okay. I want to give credit where credit's due. And, and actually, we had not yet mentioned the pear tart. The pear tart was incredible. Uh, man, it was good. And the puff pastry filled with the smoked salmon was also delightful. I don't have recipes for mm-hmm. any of those items except for the cocoa bin, which yeah. Carol is going to share. Oh, that's a great idea. So, I'll pass that along. All right, thanks. Let's, I want to hear more about your... Um, your grouper and where'd you get the grouper and how did you cook it in the skillet you you talked about the sizzle did you season it 
Do you dust it with flour before, or no, do you put it I, in, in just... No, in fact, I didn't dust it with flour at all, but that might be a great idea. I brushed it with olive oil. Okay. And it was really thick, so you have to... Did you put a top on it while it was no, cooking? No, no. Okay. But you, ha- you have to take into consideration the thickness right. you know, of your fish, and you may have to cook it a little longer, you may have to cook it a little shorter, but I just oiled it and seasoned it and put it directly in the pan. Okay. And what did you serve with your grouper? So it was sort of panade sauté. You know what I did? I served um, a fried rice. Ooh. It was... Our rice from the Delta? It was actually a combination of rices I had in my refrigerator. It was kind of one of those you use up the refrigerator fried mm-hmm. rices. It had a little squash. It had a little onion. It had a little red bell pepper. Just anything I had bits and pieces of. Did you cook it in a wok? I did indeed. When do you add the egg? Okay. First, I fried you know, fried the, uh, stir-fried the vegetables. With butter or oil or what? With oil. Okay. Got a tablespoon of oil. All right. And, you know, sauteed them really well. Mm-hmm. And added ginger and garlic to my vegetables. Took the vegetables out of the wok, fried the rice, put it all back in together, and then made a well in the middle of the okay. concoction and dropped uh, dropped an egg in there and scrambled it through the rice, and it was just delicious. Hmm. You cooked the rice separately. Well, I, I, I did. I used up old rice. Old rice. Okay. And, it was and in that's the a wonderful thing cooked. to do because okay. you really need to do great fried rice. It, it needs to be like day old, not right out of the pot. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Uh, you know, I made some grits uh, on Saturday morning, some Yellowstone ground grits, and uh, put some cheese and cream in it. It was really delicious. Uh, I just felt like breakfast. I'm on a kick now where I want to eat breakfast, and I normally do not eat breakfast, but I've been finding breakfast all over town. I went to the Weston Hotel uh, last week and had a breakfast. Uh, I went to Brent's Drugstore and had a breakfast. And I hear there's a new place out on Lakeland Drive called Joe's Diner that Hap Owen told me about. So I'm on a tear for breakfast. Yeah, and you always give a stop at Primo's when you're, oh, when you're are interested you kidding? in breakfast. That's a regular. Or yeah. big bad breakfast in Oxford. Which Correct. I'm hoping that we'll... Uh, get a trip to Big Bad Breakfast this weekend. Well, maybe Carol and I both will be in Oxford this weekend uh, celebrating the one and only Peyton Prospera's birthday. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got a caller from Pascagoula. Brother Daniel's on the phone. And then, of course, our buddy Tim Pierce calling us from Memphis is on the phone. We'll take both of those calls and your call if you want to join the conversation. Otherwise, Carol and I will be right back with more Deep South Dining. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. 
Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White, Carol Puckett. We are so glad you have tuned in this morning. We appreciate you listening. And those of you who call, we thank you. And those of you who send little emails, we appreciate that. We had a caller on the break call about our comment about a state cake, Carol. And they said that if we're going to have a state cake, it should have something to quote unquote sip in it. Like oh, bourbon. Okay. So there you go. This is sippy. Got Correct. it. Got it. Got it. All right. Brother Daniel's on the phone calling from Pascagoula down on the Golden Gulf Coast of Mississippi. Hello, brother. How are you? I'm sorry, you're breaking up on us. Uh, All right. Can you hear me now? Yes, that's great. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. What's going on? All right. Hey. Well, I'm, I'm peace to everybody's family and everything. Uh, yeah, but I heard uh, uh, one of our brothers called about, hmm, I love cheese, but am I eating too much cheese? As long as you can get them probiotics, and I think most doctors will agree, and try to get some of the, the real cheese. You know, not that, Amer- uh, what do you call it? Uh, processed processed cheese. American yeah. cheese, but that deli good cheese. You know, I recommend that it's... Uh, the ones you would get from the old deli. I know right. we all miss that. Um, and I find that those help out a lot. They also help out with your probiotics. You, you know, you're, you're um, helping you to digest a lot. Mm-hmm. You don't get that constipation. Because I eat a lot of pizza, so I know. But uh, I'm going to try to send y'all that recipe about that blueberry king cake. Bread pudding. Man, you promised us that last week. Don't make promises you can't keep. And uh, who do I need to put attention to when I send the the recipe? Just put Deep South Dining, and it'll come straight to us. And what's the mailing address out here at the old MPB Think Radio, Kevin? It is 3824. Sorry. (laughs) 3825 Ridgewood, R I D G E W O O D. Uh, Mississippi uh, uh, Ridgewood Road, Ridgewood Road, Jackson, Mississippi, three nine two one one. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so remember, food food brings unity in Mississippi because that's all we do, but eat. You're a good man, brother. We appreciate your listening. Appreciate your calling. Hope everything is well down in the Pascagoula. And Carol, now it is time to bring on the star of the show. It's Tim Pierce. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, hey tell Tim. us what was for dinner last night. Oh, last night I did uh, scallops with black bean sauce and pork dumplings. Oh. I already saw the picture. I wake up <laughs> every morning, and after I do Wordle, I check cooking and coping to see what you had for dinner, Leanne Galt and Bob Yarbrough. There you go. And then later in the day, I go back and read what everybody else was cooking, which is usually fabulous. I saw some beautiful spring uh, clams and with spring herbs this morning, but I, I always go to South Main or Edwards Farm with Tim Pierce first thing. Absolutely. Hey, what about that oyster dish that uh, Leanne made of oh. Miss Martin's? That made me want to lick the computer screen. That, Man. <laughs> that was wild. Yes. 
So, Tim, uh, tell our listeners, from your point of view, the value of um, the Cooking and Coping Facebook site and that group of friends. I think it's really important, and you've been quite a leader in that organization. It's not an organization. It's a a loose group of like-minded people. Well, I looked back when Carol called about talking about Brussels sprouts because, honestly, I didn't remember even the post that she was talking about, but the original post was back in May of 2020, and it was just when we were all in the crux of thinking about maybe COVID was just, you know, a brief thing. We didn't realize it was going to be a a two-year pandemic, and at the time, I had no business. I, I was home all the time, and cooking and coping just became something that was just enjoyable to be a part of, and then we all realized that it's a community. I mean, we have all supported people through good, bad, everything. I mean, it, it has been much more about friends and gathering on a website than just about cooking. But there is that, the added advantage that we've all had. And I think we've all just learned so much uh, from each other. And it's that giving that has made the site so enjoyable for all of us, I think. Well, I, I really want to just commend you for your generosity to all the people from all over the country and, you know, a few people from around the world that are on the site. And you always take time to answer their questions and to put something funny and also to, to you know, make people feel good about what they're doing. A lot of the people that post are, are doing it for the first time. And, you know, it's just a little encouragement uh, goes a long way. But it caught my attention. I guess it was uh, last week, one of our cooking and coping posters and friends, Pippa Perry Jackson, posted that she was in Houston at the Intercontinental Hotel and had a delightful snack at the bar which was roasted Brussels sprouts with organic honey, anchovy butter, sliced almonds, and dill. And she wanted to know, you know, how do you handle, uh, you know, Brussels sprouts? So I wanted you to, you know, Brussels sprouts are the new kale. And you can't go to a, a cool restaurant without some kind of Brussels sprouts being on the menu. And when I was looking back in my own recipes, I found you know, the one that hit me for the first time. And, and Kelly English in Memphis was doing that uh, you know, back a few years ago. Uh, so, you know, they've been around, but they're growing in popularity. And tell us how to, how to do it. Well, again, during the past two years, I think we've all just done a lot of things simply because we've been at home. And I've realized that Brussels sprouts, um, they have a shelf life. And if you can get them as fresh as possible, then they're just amazingly delicious. But what we often do is buy something at the grocery store and then wait three, four, five, every how, how many days, and then use it. Guilty. And Brussels, <laughs> Brussels sprouts are not friendly to that kind of usage at all. Um, 
we have a, a new grocery store on South Main, and their Brussels sprouts are already in a bag. And I was really hesitant about buying them, but I'm really supportive of this new grocery store as well. But they were bright green, they were shiny, they just happened to be pre-packaged. And I bought them and used them Friday night and they were delicious. But if you buy the Brussels sprouts that are like in the net bag or in the mm. little box with the clear plastic over it, and you put it in your crisper and leave it three or four days, it, it doesn't matter how you prepare them. They are not going to be moist and tender and delicious. So uh, we have all started experimenting with Brussels sprouts strictly because they've shown up on restaurant menus. So they've started slicing them and saving them and doing all kinds of treatments. But I tell you, Texas has something going on. Those chefs are a little bit crazy because my favorite Brussels sprouts I've ever had are also from Texas and often at a sushi restaurant called Uchi. And they do the Japanese technique that's called ajimono, which means fried. And they just deep fry the Brussels sprout. <clears throat> no batter, no nothing, just deep fried. And then <clears throat> toss some olive oil and sweet chili on top of them. And they are truly delightful. So they're I doing the, frying the whole sprout, not just the leaves? Uh, no, they're frying the whole having the sprout and then frying the halves. Halves, No yeah. batter, no dusting, no dredging, yeah. just the sprout. And they're spectacular. So let's talk a little bit about the shaving technique. That seems to be the hot buzz word for how to treat a Brussels sprout. Is that just, you know, chopping it up very finely, or is it... What is the shaving, Carol? I really don't know, Mal. Um, you know, I think it's it's probably done with something like a Benreiner or mandolin or something hmm. that, you know, that gets a really close shave because they're usually so thin. Do you have any ideas, Tim? Yeah, I actually do mine with my Japanese knife and do it just as thin as I can. Uh, it could be done on a mandolin, but I don't trust myself on a mandolin with something that small. But yeah, it's strictly just saving them as small as you can and then serving them fresh. There's no sauteing or mm -hmm. um, any kind of boiling or whatever with them. So it would be uh, sort of the same technique as uh, coleslaw, making coleslaw out of a Absolutely. cabbage. You're, make, you're shaving the Brussels sprout for a, a crisp, fresh dish. And the Brussels sprout is a part of the cabbage family, so it's not too much different from that. But, of course, the Brussels sprout has a little bit of the, the mustard oil in it that gives it that bite. Mm. So um, that, that's what makes it different from cabbage. So, of course, I had to go look up the history of Brussels sprouts uh, because they say Brussels sprouts, and they are, in fact, um, you know, known, you know, the origin in Brussels. Now, a lot of the literature you know, talks about the 13th and 14th century in Brussels. The French actually gave them the name Brussels sprouts. Hmm. But other literature I found had them back in the 5th and 6th century in the Roman Empire in the, you know, southern part, southern part of Europe. But, you know, I know 
Brussels sprouts are really hot right now. And one of the articles I saw said Brussels sprouts from dud to stud. (laughs) And Brussels sprouts were the most hated vegetable of the vegetable list. A few years ago. And if you think Brussels sprouts taste better today, you would be right. They really, really do. Yeah, these are not your grandfather's Brussels they sprouts. Are, they are not, because Brussels sprouts had a somewhat, the ones we grew up on, you know, kind of a bitter, a bitter taste to them. But, and Dutch food scientists went back in their seed banks. They have like, you know, Jeanette, these seed banks. And through, you know, traditional just crossbreeding and coming up with, with new ideas actually have now produced a Brussels sprout that is not not as bitter. Hmm. Great stuff. You know, I, I despised them growing up, but uh, of course now I eat them all the time. And as Tim said, they've resurfaced in restaurants, I think more so than the home, and now they're making their way into the home kitchen. Tim, can do you know much about how they're grown? Uh, you know, they're very small. Are they on a bush? Do they it's grow a on the big ground? Stalk. It's a stalk that grows up out of the ground. You know, twenty-four inches, thirty inches, and it's just covered in these little sprouts. Do they? Can you pick them more than once, or is it just a one pick? One time. And then the stalk is history. Right. Hmm. And and the what parts are growing of, and producing? Do we grow them in America? Yes. California. Yeah, California is kind of the uh, seat of Brussels sprouts for us. And I looked up something else I saw was in about five years ago, there were 2,500 acres in the United States planted of Brussels sprouts. Now there are over 10,000 acres. And Mexico is also beginning to, to grow them. Supply and demand. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder when they'll come to the Mississippi Delta. I just don't think our heat is good for the sprout. Uh, Well, naturally, they're a fall and winter vegetable, just Mm. like winter greens. You know, they they do better in the the cooler weather. Uh huh. Like the cabbage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I've roasted Brussels sprouts in the oven, which yeah, I love to do. Other people do them on top of the stove. Other people shave them and put them into a salad. Mm But there's a lot of bacon going around on Brussels sprouts. Well, like the cheese, there's nothing wrong with a lot of bacon. A whole lot of bacon going on. Yeah, a whole lot of bacon going on. <laughs> well, Tim, beyond Brussels sprouts, tell us what's going on in your kitchen. You are a very innovative uh, home cook, and uh, golly, we're so proud to, to to open up cooking and coping every day and see what's going on up there. Talk a little bit about what else you've been into and what's working and not working for you. I think we're all looking forward to spring. We just had four inches of snow over the weekend, but um, now more than ever, Mm. we're looking forward to spring. And um, I'm I'm excited about asparagus. Um, I'm excited about radishes. I love radishes. And uh, so all of the the things that spring bring along with spring green and new life, I, I just... Green is my signature color. Uh, chartreuse, I call it my signature color. And, and a friend of mine called it new growth green. So just as we see 
all the green coming to life. It, it, it gives us hope and, and a, a brighter future for hopefully clean air for the, the next coming month. Tim, uh, I love reading on um, Saturdays when uh, when you and Brant go to the farmer's market. And I remember when we were deep in the pandemic and you were bemoaning the fact that you couldn't get out. And one day you said, I dressed in a hazmat suit. <laughs> yes, I could, I could see you walking with, with <laughs> rubber gloves on and, and we, you couldn't stay away from the farmer's market uh, any longer. Right. But Tell us a bit about the farmer's market and some of the vendors that, that you really like. We are so blessed. Uh, downtown, I guess 15 years ago now, uh, some neighbors started the Memphis Farmer's Market. And it's in a, a public space right in the heart of South Maine. And it is less than a block from our loft. And the, they... Uh, they made it a business. It's a, a legitimate five hundred one c three, and they it require all of the farmers to be less than a hundred miles from Memphis. They everything has to be grown on the farm. There there are no partnerships or any of those kind of things. It, it's all, and they have a team of people that regularly check the farm, and um, they're all just. It's sort of like cooking and coping. We've, we've all become a family because the more you time you spend with them, the more you know about them. So we've watched them have children and grow up, and, you know, we, we've lost some of the farmers because their families have gotten too big, and they've gone a different direction. But we have everything you can imagine, including a, a full range of meats and seafood and uh, home place pastures started coming years ago from Como so we just have the best pork and beef in the state and it's right here you know literally five doors away from us. Well I know you were an early adopter of Two Brooks Farm rice in fact uh, now did they come to the farmers market? I started to say let me tell that story because Elizabeth High School was on Deep South Dining and she said, oh, you all have to know about this rice. This is the most incredible rice. And you know how she is. She went on and on and on about this rice. I'm like, okay, what's the deal with rice? And lo and behold, that was like on Thursday. On Saturday, I'm walking through the farmer's market, and I pass this table, and it's these bags of rice. And I didn't think anything about it. We just kept on walking. I said, wait a minute. And I walk back, and there's two Brook Farms rice at the Memphis Farmer's Market, and it changed my life. I mean, I'm not a big rice We ate potatoes growing up, but, I mean, everything that Mike Wagner and his family does is just the, the story of how they do it. He was on last week, of course, and I just enjoyed hearing him so much and uh, knowing that that is just right down the road from us in the Delta is just wonderful, and having that resource at both of the farmers markets. I have to mention the Cooper Young Farmers Market as well because it is equally well done and resourced and it's in Midtown Memphis. And uh, so we're lucky to have both of them. Sounds like really, a road really trip close. for us. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Tim, are they only on Saturday? Or are they Saturday, Sunday? What, what, when are they open, these two markets? Um, the Memphis Farmers Market is April to November and Saturdays only. Then Hello. 
Uh-oh. Hello? Hey, Tim. Yeah. There? Okay. Yeah, Clipper Young is uh, year-round, but they're both Saturday only. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, while we were on the uh, phone talking about Brussels sprouts, we have a question for you from Pippa Perry Jackson, the one that started <laughs> this conversation. And she said, the question I was going to ask Tim was, is it better to buy Brussels sprouts on the stalk or in the package? Because some, some grocery right. stores do carry <clears throat> them on the stalk now. Yeah, honestly, on the stalk here in Memphis, it's only available in early fall. Um, you know, September, it's a fresh market usually has them, but usually just for a week or so. Um, they're not available here on the stock. So um, I, I think they're produced at a level that the quality, uh, again, looking for bright color, looking for bright color green and shiny. If they're dull and dry looking, just pack them because they're not going to be successful. I got a text from a great friend of mine who is a fantastic gardener, David Patterson. David and Melissa provide me with tomatoes and cucumbers and greens in the fall. He has a, a, a renowned garden. And he was telling me that he has tried and tried and tried to grow the Brussels sprouts here in the Metro Jackson area with just little success. And furthermore, David wants to remind our listeners, <laughs> he says Brussels sprouts are a Yankee food. Oh. Oh. Mm, I don't know. I would say, David, they're a European food. <laughs> a Brussels food. <laughs> oh. um, now, I've, I'm, I'm get, we're just getting uh, text and stuff as we speak. Uh, somebody just texted in that there is someone growing them in Mississippi. Oh, great. So, Native Sons Farm? Native Sons Farm. I I don't know that one. Yeah, yeah. But we'll we'll get right on it. Yes, we will. Native Sons, I think, is in Tupelo. There you go. Okay, well, it, it's a little cooler up there. Yeah, <laughs> right. But uh, This weekend it has been, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, y'all have had it rough up that way. Uh well, Tim, I, I hope you keep posting every day on cooking and coping. We all love to see it, and hope more of our listeners will join join us on this Facebook page. Uh, this morning, there was a post on uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the oven. I mean, we don't just oh. do fine food. We talk about grilled peanut butter and jelly, and we talk about wow. cocoa van. Tim, we appreciate you. Good morning, David Woodward. Posted cauliflower and Brussels sprout pilaf. There you go. Pilaf. There you go. We may need to try that at our house. Well, Tim, thanks so much uh, for, for all that you do. We appreciate you. We look forward to everything that you post and everything you share. You're an inspiration to our cooking and coping page. And Carol, if a listener is still confused about the Facebook page, how do they become a a joiner, a member of our little page. Well, it's a it's an open public page. Just go to cooking and coping colon gathering around the virtual table. Just put in cooking and coping, mm-hmm. and just put follow or join. Yeah, 
We'd love to have love you. Love to have and you'll, you. And you'll see Tim's daily post and lots of other very creative uh, cooks, home cooks, professional cooks, sharing fabulous ideas about food. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners just like yourself, and we thank you. Our show was engineered by Kevin Farrell, the cookie man, and co-hosted by Carol Puckett. And we are so thankful for our special guest, Tim Pierce. I'm Malcolm White, asking you now to stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's show. Now you're talking, followed by Southern Remedy at 11.